when high school kids are being recruited, whether it's at Rice or Texas or Michigan or Adrian College, if a family and a young man is not asking, what is your plan for me? You're missing the boat. You're not maximizing your opportunity to have a great college experience. You have to pin the coaches down and, and say, define it for me. What is your vision for me? How do you see me fitting into your team? And, and make them tell you. And that question alone will differentiate. It will help you guide your decision-making process on where you want to go to school. Hello and welcome back or welcome to another edition of Up Close in Personnel with Alex Brown. I'm your host, Alex Brown, Director of Recruiting with Rice Football, and we are back on the road. We we lost the last two weeks due to COVID issues on the other side of the field, but this week we travel up to Dallas to play UNT. And on the show, I have one of my great friends, a mentor of mine, and somebody that I have learned so much, not just in terms of personnel and scouting and, and recruiting, but in terms of leadership and relationship building and just somebody who's been a great friend all throughout the time that we've known each other. So welcome onto the show, Bobby Merritt, Assistant General Manager for the Edmonton Eskimos. He has worked at every single level of football and we talk about that, his diverse background as a former coach, a former scout, a former director of recruiting, director of player personnel, scout in the CFL, NFL, you name it, he's done it. And he talks about the benefits of that diversity. And really this episode is all about the art of building a roster. And it's something we've talked about before, but really roster construction 101, assigning value to your team, assigning value to the prospects that you're evaluating, the importance of the head coach and general manager relationship, especially when it comes to decision making, building a personnel staff as a director of player personnel or a director of recruiting, how you put together an internship program, how you interview those people, how do you make decisions on them, setting parameters in the evaluating process, and overall, the main takeaway being that you cannot, absolutely cannot, evaluate your success as an evaluator unless you define the role a player is going to play in your program beforehand. By that, we're talking about vision. What is this player going to be in our program? Is he going to develop into a starter? Is he an immediate impact player? That's the difference between a first round pick and a fourth round pick. First round pick, we've got to be able to depend on them to be an impact guy right away. Fourth round pick, you're looking at a good backup. So we get into all of those details. It's a great conversation about the evaluating process. And on top of it, there's so much leadership nuggets throughout this entire episode. So I won't bury the lead with this one. But again, as I always say each and every week, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and share the show with anybody you know. It's been a awesome, awesome privilege to be able to bring these to you each and every week. So again, I appreciate the feedback. I appreciate the support. And now I'll turn to my conversation with my good friend and mentor, Bobby Merritt. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh man. Okay. All right. Um. Bobby, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. 
It's been too long. I really believe that I learned the most from you in any period of time of working for somebody. So talk about kind of where you are now. I know you're working with Edmonton and, and the Eskimos as assistant GM, but talk about your current role and what you're doing with the CFL. As you said, I'm an assistant general manager in Edmonton. Um, so I'm really involved in, well, if we were playing, I, I would be involved in, in, in all the day-to-day -day activities from prospect evaluation, our team evaluation, player contracts, being somewhat involved in, in salary cap management, all the day-to-day -day business operations, in addition to building our football team and evaluating college players in the States and throughout Canada, as well as various NFL teams. Uh, between our staff, we'll cover all 32 NFL teams. But however, we are currently shut down. So we're not we don't have any plans at this point. They, they're not telling us when we're going to resume operations. So we're kind of in a, in a holding pattern. But one thing I do want to add to that with, with the CFL scouting, like you're talking about what I do. The thing that's interesting about being in the CFL, I still see all the NCAA colleges. I see the Canadian colleges, which is a, a totally different level. I evaluate CFL teams other CFL free agents, but also the NFL team. So I, so I get to see the whole gamut of players from division three football in the States to the Canadian colleges, which is, I would compare it to essentially division three slash division two football. Of course, all the major conferences in the NCAA, as well as every level of pro football from the CFL to NFL players. So for me personally, it's probably expanded my skill set as an evaluator, just seeing a, more of a diverse set of players on a consistent basis. And like, I feel that your experience having, I mean, you've coached high school ball, you've coached the college level, you've scouted in the NFL, now you're scouting the CFL, you've worked in college football recruiting departments. How have kind of all these different steps along the way prepared you for this moment? Because I, I, it definitely feels like now, having gone through all those experiences, now you're able to kind of have like a bigger picture outlook on, on personnel. Yeah, that's a good question. I'm glad you brought that up because I feel blessed with the diversity of my background. I think in a leadership position, whether it's as a college football head coach, as a college football football like chief of staff or general manager or general manager in pro football you have to be able to draw from a diverse um, skill set i think to be successful now granted you know you're never ultimately prepared for for a role there's there's things that are going to come that you, that you can't really that you haven't been prepared for but i think the diversity of my background has set me up to communicate effectively with the various degrees of personalities that you interact with um, in our in our in our industry. Uh, you know, take whether it's college football or pro football, you're interacting with people from all walks of life, right? And and all sorts of personalities. And I think you have to be able to draw from a, a, a diverse background to be successful in a leadership role you know, in, a, in that leadership position, again, whether you're a head coach, general manager, you have to interact with, with agents, players at the amateur level, level, players at the pro level, coaches at the amateur level, coaches at the pro level. So to be able to continue on 
continuing dialogue with those people, you have to have a a diverse skill set, I think, to be successful and just kind of cultivate relationships and, and get people on side on your side and get people to buy into your program. Yeah. And I mean, diverse as far as the types of people you deal with. Um, talk about going into the, the Air Force and, and, and your time with the Air Force and like what what led to your decision to go the Air Force route and you know, I, I feel like knowing you, knowing how like organized you are and how detailed processed you are, um, that you probably got some of that at the Air Force. Um, yeah, sure. That's interesting you brought that up. I, I, Cause I didn't, I didn't see you coming. I didn't see that coming. Um, so I, I finished college at Adrian College. And at the time, all through college, my goal, I wanted to work for the FBI, okay? So, and I wanted to serve my country. My father's a Marine. Um, I wanted to serve. So when I finished college, I, I, that was my plan. I was, was going to go in the military and, and get military experience, serve my country. Well, when my eligibility was up from, from playing in college, I coached high school football for a year before, prior to going in the military. And that changed my whole route. Like I knew I was going to get back into football, but I went and served but yes, I think the military, you know, growing up um, with my dad as a Marine, it was, you know, fix your bed every day. That's, that's the first thing you're going to make your bed. You're going to get up, you're going to cut the grass. So there was, there was always some sort of order in my life from that. And, and it was a, you know, if there wasn't order, it was a, a size 12 in the rear end that, I, that there was going to be order. But so I wanted to serve. And yes, I, military, it, it was... It plays to my personality probably, but um, yes, the attention to detail. I, I worked in military police and I, I worked um, canine explosive detection dogs. So you're dealing with explosives. So there's an element of attention to detail that, that is demanded. So I think, I think the military shaped me in, in more ways than I, than I may have thought initially. I came from a, a, sub, a, a Toledo suburb in Michigan that uh, not a very cultural, diverse area. So for me, going in the military was, I think it kind of laid the groundwork for me as a football person dealing with, you know, I mentioned the various degrees of personality in the military, you have everything, right? Like um, everything. You know, I, I was friends with people that I would have never even met through my high school or college. There's like like close friends that I to this day, guys would still take the ball back to the back of someone's head for me. So I, I think that really kind of laid the foundation for how I deal with people, how I how I try to lead people, and how I try to fit in as a teammate. So then the the main inflection point for you was, was when you started coaching high school ball right before the Air Force. So did you already make your commitment to go serve? And then you were That's just right. coaching. You, so you were just coaching to like by the time. Yeah, my, my eligibility was up and I, and I had a couple classes to finish up, to, to finish my undergrad. And that coach and said, hey, I'm going to have some time. Can I help out? And he said, of course. And if I wouldn't have done that, I'd probably be climbing some building right now getting shot. Where I mean, really, like that was the path I was going on, and but just those three months of, of coaching high school kids, I, I knew I was going to get back into football. 
so then you you get into you you get into coaching initially, right? So you start as oh yeah, yeah. I my yeah. whole thing, you know, I wanted to I wanted to mentor young guys, and you know, as a player, I was a a very very substandard athlete, but the game meant a lot to me. I mean, it was just it was so. Um, you know, once I started coaching and, you know, when, when kids respond to you and you see them look you in the eye and they're absorbing everything like a sponge, I bought right into it. And so the reason I got into it is to just mentor guys and help guys get to places they couldn't get on their own. From there, you know, after the military, I got into, I coached a couple of years of high school football. Then I, I was in college for five years and I had the opportunity to get into scouting um, and anytime you have the opportunity to, to get to a level that is the pinnacle of that profession, uh, I think you have to do it. You know, I was scouting, it wasn't coaching, but getting on the personnel side opened my eyes to be able to comprehend the 30,000 foot view of running a football organization, how it's built from the ground up. <clears throat> and as coaches, sometimes you become so tunnel vision with your group of players that you're interacting with. It's, it's, um, it's easy to become a little short sighted to be more concerned with your own position group and forget about, you know, what, what's actually necessary in, in, in building the roster in NFL terms, one through 53 or the college scholarship term one through 85. So I think I, I'm, as a personnel guy, learn that you learn why number 80 on the roster is just as important or has a role and is just as vital as 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 number two and you learn how to constantly be upgrading the back half of your roster so So i think ultimately being in personnel it made me definitely a it improved my football acumen made me a wiser football person but how, so I, I know you, you said like the mentorship side was so important for you on the coaching. When did you get to the place where you're like, all right, I'm going to put the coaching hat to the side for now. And we're just going to go full on personnel. Cause I know you like the big thing was making that jump to the highest level of football, but it is such a different world. Like when did you really like embrace that? Like, you know what, I'm going to dive, you know, head first into this personnel stuff. Yeah, that, that's a loaded question. I like it because, yeah, yeah, to this day, and, and I tell you this, you know, scouting even now, like there's an element to me that, I, you know, I miss coaching. I miss that the day-to-day interaction with getting guys better. However, if I was doing that and that would be great, I would definitely miss the, the aspect of building a team one through 53 leading a staff, putting the staff together off the field that brings it all together. I would miss that aspect of it too. I think, again, I think personnel, once I got into it, it was a little, it was an eye opener from the view of, okay, so this is what it really means to, to build a football team and to run a football team. It's not just about the linebackers or the wide receivers or the quarterbacks. It's about, identifying the right personalities, implementing a structure and identifying the right personalities that will improve the value in your locker room. 
And that's what you get from being a personnel guy. I think in college football, the best head coaches are the guys that embrace learning the personnel side of it. So many of them have, have not been educated or have not taken the time to place value in personnel and the guys that do, I think, make the best college head coaches because they understand the big picture and why it's so important to consider each individual that you bring into the locker room and how he fits into that team. From a roster construction standpoint, I know you talked with Coach JP, Jason Phillips. They, they talked about on the football scoop recently. Um, kind of the two things that, that you pointed to, does the player fit what we do and does the player make us better? Is that the, that's at the, the end of the day that has to be the objective when we're putting the team together? Yes, I think one of the critical factors of the roster is you, you have to know what's in your locker room, right? You have to identify, you have to define your, your core players, your role players, and your players that you want to upgrade from. Okay. You have to identify your musts, your needs, and your wants. Okay. So you, you need to continually assess the value of your team and continually assess the value that people bring to your team and where they fit. So yes, if you're just, you're not ever going to just haphazardly sign a guy, right? You, you have to have a plan for him. You have to have a role for him. It's, it's not just, it's not just, well, we got to fill a billet. Okay. And that's why I would encourage when, when kids are, when, when high school kids are being recruited, whether it's at Rice or Texas or Michigan or Adrian College, if a family and a young man is not asking, what is your plan for me? You're missing the boat. You're not maximizing your opportunity to have a great college experience. You have to pin the coaches down and, and say, define it for me. What is your vision for me? How do you see me fitting into your team? And, and make them tell you. And that question alone will differentiate. It will help you guide your decision-making process on where you want to go to school. Because I, I would venture to say eight out of 10, are it's, it's going to be a wishy-washy answer that's all over the map with a lot of ambiguity. The, the You're the top of our board. You're, you're our favorite guy. You're, you're, you're our guy, you know? Exactly. That's, that's, that's your role. So when you break down roles... Um, we talked a lot about, you know, an impact player, uh, a media contributor, developmental starter, developmental backup, career backup, teams player, and then, you know, you have your walk-on level players. So can you go through each of those values and those roles that evaluators need to do a good job of placing on players that they're either looking at for the draft, whether you're pro team or if you're looking at as a recruit when you're on signing day. So at the end of the day, when you, and, and let's talk, let's talk um, college football right now. Okay. So just say on average, you're, you're signing 20 players. I know you, you have 25, but let's just say you're signing 20. Yep. Um, you have a signing class. And then three years later, you often hear, Oh yeah, we missed on him. Oh gosh, I can't believe we offered him or, Oh boy, we missed on him. Well, did you really miss on him? 
because I'm not sure how many staffs are really defining what a player is, right? Like, granted, everybody wants a top five quarterback or a top five wide receiver in the country, but you're not always going to get them. So you have to place value in them. So let's say, let's just take a, a wide receiver and you, and you have your rankings, you're one through 30, and you're not able to get one through 15 for whatever reason, okay? Now, so maybe you sign a guy because your numbers are so depleted, you, you, you need a wide receiver, and that's a whole nother discussion. But um, so you sign a guy knowing that he's not really – He's not going to have an impact. He, you, he may not even be a starter for you, okay? Um, but you have to place a value on him as a – is he an impact starter? Do you see him as a starter, a developmental starter? Do you see him as a good backup, a backup? So maybe this guy you see as just a good backup, right? And, and you sign him, he comes to your program. Well, unless you're placing a definition on him, you can't say you missed on him. So maybe three years down the road, the guy is a number four or wide receiver you know oh man I can't believe we signed that guy you know he, he he all he does is cover kicks and you know he's our fifth wide receiver well no you didn't miss on him you defined him correctly the the error was in your marketing or in your salesmanship because there's different layers right you can you have to identify the guy you have to evaluate the guy that you have to market him to your program and you have to sell him so Sometimes the flaw is not necessarily in the evaluation. It is in you identified the right player. You knew who you wanted to go after, but for whatever reason, you couldn't sell them. Okay. You didn't market them correctly. I don't know what the error was, but unless you're placing a defined grade or a value on the player, you, you never really know how, how you're doing as a staff in identifying players. And ultimately, when you look back, if you're not if you're not always measuring something, you can't improve on it. So if after three years, oh, we missed on too many guys, we missed on too many guys, we're, we're poor evaluators. Maybe you're not poor evaluators. Maybe you're poor marketing people. Maybe you're poor salespeople. Okay. It might be that you're poor evaluators, but um, unless you are placing a value, you really don't know what what the problem is. Does that answer your question? No, it does. It absolutely does. And the way you talk about defining the value and what the player is, it's all about the expectation, right? Like you can't, right. You, you can't say it's a win or a loss unless there's a certain level. Right. Of expectation. That's, that's another thing in college football. I think that gets um, where there's misalignment. Okay. There's, there's coaching, right? You get player a, from being average to above average or, or above average to being good, right? You're never going to take a below average talent and make them a great player, but you can make them a good player. So there's coaching, right? Um, there's um, player evaluation, right? You have to, you have to evaluate guys and, and have a process to doing that. Then you have to market your, your recruits and you, and you have to get them on campus and sell them. Those are all different skill sets, right? You can be really good at selling, but not be a good coach or a good evaluator, and that's fine. You can be really good at marketing and getting off the, the graphics and the letters and the postcards and really know how to target individuals and make them feel warm and welcome, but that doesn't mean you're a good coach or that doesn't mean you're a good evaluator. And being a good coach doesn't mean you're a good marketer. Like 
there has to be a delineation of those skill sets. And, and again, I think that the staffs that do it best um, somehow tie that in together and bring people with unique skill sets that strengthen you as a, as a staff in all those areas. So that's something I really wanted to touch on too, is just, we didn't quite get to implement the entire structure that, that you were wanting to do. Um, but as it was coming together and, and seeing the way you clearly define roles for myself or Ed Jones at Kansas now, all the different people that were in our recruiting structure and our recruiting department, like what does it take to truly implement that NFL styled personnel process where everybody has their job, their lane, their assignment. The head coach that's comfortable in his own skin. Bottom line, a head coach that is smart and comfortable in his own skin. And when you say that, can you kind of get a little deeper? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Can you, can you just go into like what, what has to, what the environment has to look like to be a successful personnel department? Okay. Another critical factor of building a roster from a pro from a pro perspective is the head coach general manager relationship is critical. It's critical. There has to be mutual trust and respect. There has to be constant authentic dialogue. So ultimately in a pro structure, most of the time the general manager is, is the head of the is is the head of the household per se. Okay. But the relationship with the head coach, again, it has to be, there has to be collaboration between coaches and, 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 and scouts. So in a college structure, the head coach is the head of the household without, it's black and white. The head coach is the end all be all. However, I think the head coach has to be a CEO of a program, okay? And they have to surround themselves with, with people that add value in the different areas. Okay. The head coach cannot be the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator and the special teams coordinator and the director of recruiting and the director of player person. He can't do it all. Right. So it's funny. We talk about whether you're in the NFL or you're in college football. It's always like, we got to upgrade our roster. We got to constantly turn over the bottom of our roster and increase value, right? Increase value, increase value, increase the talent level on our football team. Well, why aren't we talking about that for our, our staffs that, that we're assembling? There's so much comfort level hiring. And Grant, you have to hire people that you're comfortable with and that you have a relationship with. But there's a fine line between hiring based on comfort and people that you're familiar with and people that are going to help you, you grow the program. Okay. So I think to your question, what does it look like? I think that the head coach has to surround himself with people he's comfortable with. You're the offensive coordinator. Run your offense. Tell me how you're going to do things. What do you believe in? What are the principles that are going to guide your decision-making and running your offense? Same with the defensive coordinator. What do you believe in? What are your principles that are going to guide your decision-making? Okay. So is that are those questions being asked when you hire a director of recruiting or a director of player personnel? Show me how you're going to run the, the, the off-field department. Okay, show me your principles. What's going to guide how you make decisions? Show me your division of labor. I don't think 
those same questions and the same demands that are being put on the offensive coordinator, the defense coordinator, those same demands or expectations for quality of people are not being implemented on the personnel or recruiting side. There has to be an element of, um, okay, this guy's helping me build the offense. This guy's helping me build the defense. Who's helping you as a head coach build the off-field structure? Who's helping you identify talent? Who's helping you assemble the right people to market your program and to sell your program? So again, another critical factor in, in the NFL picture or CFL picture, there has to be collaboration between the personnel and coaching staffs. You have to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations. Other, you can't become diluted in thoughtless agreement, okay? And I think in college football, that's missing. There's a disconnect between coaching staffs and people that they're, they're, they say they're leaning on to identify the talent and bring them to the coaches. I think I'm going off in a lot of different directions. No, here. no, 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 no. And, and how, does, how does, what does it look like? It looks like, a culture of collaboration that has to start with the head coach being comfortable in his own skin and being able to surround himself with people that are better than him in certain areas. Yeah, no. And the thing that that's crazy to me is we've talked on this show with different directions of recruiting personnel all across the country about, you know, your, your process of evaluating critical factors, position specifics. You, we go through all of these, these steps and these processes and these workflows to really pick the best players for our team. But are we taking that same, like very, very detailed approach to the people we bring into director of operations, director of player personnel? Like it, it does. I mean, at the end of the day, the people that you sign as players are no different than the people you hire as workers because they're right. all employees per se of the football. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because we have different standards a lot of times for the players than we do for the, the staff. Like, okay, you, you're, when you're signing players, again, whether it's NFL, CFL, college football, you're, well, you should be thoroughly, thoroughly evaluating them and assessing them and identifying the value they bring, right? Uh, well, is that happening off the field? With your with your staff, I I know it did when when we were working together because uh, I remember when we had I think it was like twenty or twenty five sports management undergrads come and interview and it was a rotating cycle of just you know one kid shows up like five minutes late for the kid even walks in we're like yeah we're not hiring this person next person comes in they're wearing shorts and a t shirt we're like yeah we're not hiring this person then old right. Ray Claridge comes in and he's suited and booted and you're like all right like this guy's got a shot he's working yeah. with the texans now talk about your your approach for building your internship program and the people that you surrounded yourself with um not just when we were together at houston but you know you're in a managerial role now an executive role now with you know edmonton but you were also director of recruiting at tennessee so what's your process what's your thought what's your thought process when it comes to interviewing and selecting interns to bring in I, number one, I don't care what they know about, about football, right? Somehow I want to assess their, 
their motives for doing what they're doing and and find out what's what is to them. I want to know if they're if they're going to be vested in, in what they're doing. So there's not too many young kids that become enamored with, oh, I just want to be around the football program, right? Like, again, whether it's Rice or Toledo or Houston or Alabama or Michigan, there's like this element of coolness. Like, oh, I, I just, I just want to be around the program. And well, then there's the, the kid, you know, like Ray Claridge, you mentioned, Ray had, he wanted to do it for a career. He, he wanted to he wanted to absorb whatever we were throwing at him and learn and and go have a career for himself. So first and foremost, what are your values as a person? Why, why are you doing what you're doing? Okay, that's, I, I wanna try to figure that out. Um, and then from there, when, when they kind of clear that obstacle, try to discover what, okay, what value now do you see yourself bringing? You know, why should we bring you on as an intern or as a recruiting assistant or as a player personnel analyst? Why should we bring you here? What, where do you see yourself contributing? Because, you know, we had people doing social media stuff, Instagram, Twitter, um, uh, Snapchat, like, okay, well, I'm not doing that. I mean, I can't spell those words, let alone do that, right? So you have to find someone that really loves doing that and enjoys it and, and, and can be good at it. Um, so if a person can't communicate why they're doing something, you know, what, what's just important to them as people finding out what, what kind of person they are and why they want to do what they want to do. And then what their skill set is. So we can plug them in. You, you have to be able to address those things. If, if you can, the, what you value as a person, what's important to you, um, why you want to do what you want to do, and what is your skill set? What value do you add to our program? If you're addressing those questions, I, I think then you increase your chances of, of getting the right person in your program. And I didn't realize this until after you left and you left all of your binders for me to go through. Um, the the you have your own little section tab for all the people on your staff and any like relevant, whether it's a conversation or like you wrote down from the first time we met, I, I didn't see you write it down when we first met, but I guess after I left the office, you'd written down, you know, my the girlfriend's name at the time, now wife, Brittany, you put her name down. Then you wrote down where I'm from and you did the same thing with everybody on our staff. Like it, how do you go about being the best leader you can possibly be. Cause I know you're really passionate about the, the leadership component in personnel, because at the end of the day, you are leading a staff, you are leading a team of, of people that are interacting with everybody in the program. Yeah. I, I totally believe as a leader that if, as a leader, if you're not developing other leaders, you're not being a leader. And I think people buy into first how much you care as opposed to how much, you know, look at, if I'm putting together, a staff or a team, I believe, I believe in three main things that I will not budge on. Okay. That, that whether it's a, a player, a staff member, and this is whether it's an intern or an executive director of, of player personnel or recruiting, whatever it is, look at, are you a great teammate? Okay. No, rule number one, be a great teammate. 
be an ambassador of our organization, okay? Have a team-centered attitude. Um, two, compete. Like, do you want to be the best version of yourself? Are, do you want to do you want to be the best at whatever it is you're doing? Okay, what is your effort and attitude on a daily basis? Okay, you 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 better be competing and trying to be the best at what you're doing and always be trying to grow. Okay, the last thing, build relationships, create a, create a culture of of authenticity and collaboration that empowers people. Right? Are you building relationships? Are you connecting with people? And are you having fun? Like if you, if those three things, being a teammate, being competitive and, and building relationships, like I just won't budge on those things. And so for me, when I'm in a leadership position, those, those are the things I'm always going to do. So I, I want to connect with people and let people make mistakes, right? Like you, you know, whether it's Alex or Ed or Albert or Gabe, like you're, look at some of the guys never spent a day really truly studying what a player was, right? Like evaluating a player. Um, but you're not ever going to get better if you're not given a little bit of responsibility to go make a mistake. Um, right? Like, it's not like I'm going to sit there and, and, okay, Gabe, do we take this quarterback or not? Like, and, and that's the ultimate decision. But I'm going to, I want Gabe to do it and I want to give him the chance to screw it up. Like that's the only way one people are going to buy into what you're selling for your program as a leader. And two, it's the only way they're going to grow, you know, back to your question about what does it look like culturally in a college football office? Again, you have to collaborate and you have to empower people. If, if those things are not happening, you're, you're going backwards. We all felt that when we were working for you because those, those uh, personnel evaluating yeah. meetings where we would spend a whole week just cutting down tape and really evaluating about eight to 10 guys a day. I mean, we were combing through a ton of players and you had us read off our summaries, what we think about the player, what we want to do with them. And you would kind of press into it, lean into it, give feedback. Uh, for those listening to the show that obviously weren't there, can you talk through uh, how you set that up and, and your kind of approach to developing the staff as evaluators? Yeah, sure. Um, again, look, when you're evaluating players, there's you're, you're, you're coming from a perspective. Um, we all have different perspectives, different backgrounds, that influence how we see things, right? Um, and you have to do the work and you, you have to believe what you see and, and communicate it. Now, you're not always gonna be right, okay? You're, 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 you're gonna be wrong sometimes, but if you are afraid, if you, if you become overwhelmed in a fear of, of being wrong, I, I don't, you can't ever get better as an evaluator. So my whole interaction with the staff was tell me what you see, write down what you see and say what you see with conviction. Now you might be screwed up and look at, I attribute this to, you know, I had already been coaching football for like nine years when I got hired in Detroit in 2003. So I had never 
Now, I evaluated players as a college coach recruiting, but I didn't know what evaluating was. I would never say I evaluated players now when I was coaching in college before I scouted. I would say I watched players, right? But the guys I worked for in Detroit from Russ Bollinger, Scott McEwen, Sheldon White, like those guys from the very beginning were like, what do you see? Tell me what you see. And, and Scott McCune would fly out and say, you know, I may think you're effed up, but I don't care as long as it's your effed up. Like that, that you can't learn any other way. So dealing with the staff was like, okay, tell me what you see. And I might be sitting there in my mind thinking, oh, he is screwed up. He's, he can't, he's not seeing anything. But okay, that's fine. Like one, you probably haven't really been trained much to evaluate. Two, it's the first time you've probably ever been asked to do this, let alone do it and then talk about it. Um, so I, I'm going to kind of hold your feet to the fire of tell me what you see and don't be afraid to communicate what you see. And then we'll go through it and I'll tell you if I think you're, you're effed up, <laughs> like, and then you take it for what it's worth. And in the end, I might be the one that's wrong. Right. Like, and that's fine. But, and therein lies the uh, secret sauce, I guess, to, to, um, communicating the uh, Scott McEwen who ran our draft meetings in Detroit. He was awesome. He was an awesome listener. So he collectively would listen to these opinions. You know, you might have four evaluations and, and you might have one guy might have a guy in the second round. Another scout might have him in the fourth round. Another scout might have him in the sixth round. Another guy might have him in the fifth round. So you're kind of all over the map. Scott was great at listening to everybody describe what they saw in the player. And in the end, you may be saying a lot of the same things. Alex, you may put a guy in the second round. I may put him in the fifth round. So you're saying this guy is a good starter. I'm saying he's a backup forever. Okay. But if you listen to what you're saying and what I'm saying, we may be saying the same things. We may be describing this guy the same way but placing value in different areas, right? Um, which, because maybe I value his ability, a wide receiver, I may value his hands and his ability to win contested catches. Um, and I may not be hurt killing him on, on his lack of speed, or you may be valuing speed more and his ability to win versus man coverage but you're maybe diminishing the value of winning contested balls. So because we're placing value in different areas and we're placing, um, we're placing different levels of value in those areas, it ultimately leads us to put different grades on the guy. Okay. So Scott was an awesome listener at, okay, you're saying this, you're saying this, Bobby, you're saying this, Lance, you're saying this, Russ, you're saying this. And then okay, are you guys comfortable with him here? Because if somebody has him in the second, fourth, and sixth, somebody's, somebody's right and somebody's wrong, okay? But you have to get to a point where there's a team grade on a guy where everybody's comfortable with, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm comfortable with putting him in the third round or the fourth round. Um, but there has to be discussion. And look, there's no science of, well, when do you end that discussion? When do you say you're putting them in the second or the fourth or the sixth? There has to be check your egos at the door, have collaboration. And in the end, the decision maker has to be a good listener 
and understand where the evaluators are coming from. And at the end, you have to put a, a, a final grade on the guy because you can go in any draft room and evaluate a player and, and, and have grades ranging from the second, the fourth, the sixth to free agent, right? And ultimately through that discussion, you have to put them on the board that um, in the end is your, is your team grade, okay? Even if we have grades spanning from the second to free agent, okay, our team grade is we're putting them in the fifth round. We see this guy as a team, as a backup player. So maybe collectively four minds talking about the player, you have a greater chance of getting them right for your team. Maybe he's probably not a second round guy. He's probably not a free agent guy. Maybe the guy that had him in the fourth round is right, but you have to collectively collaborate on the differing views of perspectives to try to get them right. I think when you do that over the course of 10, 20, 30, 40, 60 players that you're evaluating, your chances of being accurate for your football team, you're maximizing your chances to be accurate. Yeah. Even know what the question was, what the, what the hell the question was 15 minutes ago, but. No, no, it was about evaluating players and staff and, and the different perspectives and the thing that it kind of all ties back to, okay, you said, well, maybe I value a certain trait or a certain component of the player more than you do, and you value a different aspect, but it all has to tie back to what are we looking for as a team? What's important to us? What are we looking for at each position and defining that? So then I guess my next question is when you're deciding between skill set and parameters, I know you lean towards the skill set and we had a very very clear demonstration of that when we were at Houston together with a kid named Derek King. He is five, eight and a quarter on a good day, but in terms of ability, nobody's questioning it right now. So what, where does that, where, where does that fall for you on the spectrum? Like, obviously we have to, you can't live in the exceptions world, but when the kid can execute the job that you have assigned in the way you define the role of the position, Sometimes you just got to take the best player. How do you how do you compensate the two things? Well, I think you have to have parameters for certain positions, right? Like, and those parameters are different based on where you are, right? Like, look at you 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 can't take a wide receiver that runs four eight. Okay, like you you have to have um, you you have to have parameters, or you can't take a corner that runs four seven when you're at Alabama or even rice, right? You, if, if a guy runs a four, seven, I'm, I'm sorry, you can't, you can't have a bunch of defensive backs on your team that are running four, seven, you're going to have issues, right? You can't, in my opinion, you can't have corners that are five, nine, whether you're at rice or Alabama at Alabama, you can't have corners that are under five, 10 and a half, right? Like, you have to have because at some point that lack of length is going to show up, whether it's in poor tackling, whether it's in, man, he's got great cover skills, but he just can't finish and disrupt the ball. Yeah. Because he's, he's five, nine and his arms are 31 inches and he can't get his arm around the six, three wide receiver. Like, of course he can cover them all day, but you're going to lose contested balls, right? Like you, you can't make up for lack of length. Um, but there are certain positions where parameters are kind of irrelevant, right? Like 
if you're a middle linebacker, I, I don't really care if you're 5'11", okay, as opposed to, yeah, granted, you want him 6'2", 240. But, you know, one of the best inside linebackers that I ever evaluated was, was Chris Borland at Wisconsin, and I, he may have been – I don't know if he was 5'11 and a half. I, I'd have to look it up, but he may have been 5'10 and a half. But there are certain positions where the parameters are – you you – you don't have to be as stringent. So for me, middle linebacker, quarterback, Dierick was, what's Dierick? Five, eight and a half or five, nine. But, and it's easy. Oh, we look at, he's five, nine. Oh, he can't play quarterback. Really? Like, okay, why? Well, look at, he can't see the field. He has balls batted. He's going to have balls batted down at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, but is he completing dig routes? Is he having balls batted down at the line scrimmage? Dierre didn't. Like in practice, he 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 could throw those routes. He he didn't have an issue um, throwing in lanes. There's been got quarterbacks that are six four, six five that I've evaluated at major colleges that have a ball batted down every day because they just lack instinct in finding passing lanes. And then there's you know I, I evaluated Russell Wilson, who's maybe five eleven. He didn't have that issue. He didn't have balls batted down because he could slide his feet and throw around guys. He was instinctive and savvy to find passing lanes. So you have to evaluate the skill set for that guy. Now, once you start talking about perimeter players, um, let's take outside wide receivers. Again, if you're an outside guy you, you, and you're in the NFL, you're, you're not going to take a guy that runs over four seven or even four six five, right? You're, it's not going to happen. Now, if you're playing inside, now that that speed parameter can go up a little bit. Now, maybe you consider the guy that runs um, four seven, but there's still going to be um, there, there's still going to be a parameter. Um, I think having parameters, and again, they're different based on your scheme. They're different based on the level you're at. You know, they're going to be different for Rice than they are at Michigan. But I think having parameters helps create the identity of your football team. And if you don't have parameters, again, you become a team of exception. Oh, man, he's 4'8", but God, man, he's a great player. He, he's a great corner, even though he's 4'8". Well, okay, then next year, oh, man, he's a, he's a great safety, even though he runs 4'8". Um, boy, we love this guy. We got to have him. Now, three years, four years down the road, you have this roster of eight guys on your defense that run four eight. Okay. So now you've only, you've not only depleted the speed of your defense, but you've de depleted the ability, uh, the talent on your special teams, but the parameters are different for e each position. I just think you have to set them and you set them in a manner that's not, that gives you a little bit of leeway to take the really good instinctive, tough football player. Like, Oh, oh again, like, going back to the perimeter, the outside wide receiver, right? We want them all four, four, five, right? Four, four, five, four, four guys that are vertical threats. I'm not going to make my parameter four, five, because there's some really good outside wide receivers that run four, six, you know, they, they have great length and they have great ball skills and they consistently win downfield 50, 50 balls. But uh, so if you make a parameter four, five, oh, you're going to lose out on a lot of good football players. Um, 
But if you make the parameter for outside wide receivers, say four, six, five, now you can get that bigger body guy that has great ball skills. That's going to win in the red zone. That's going to win the 50, 50 ball contested catches. Um, but yet uh, you're not severely diminishing your, your team speed. But that's a discussion for each staff to have as a staff based on what, you know, you have to ask, what do you want out of your offense, right? What do you want to achieve? And then make your parameters from there. And even if you're outside your perimeter guy, if your speed parameter is set at four, six, five, well, okay, that's fine. But you can't have six outside wide receivers that are running four, six, five. <laughs> you can't do it. Um, I just would encourage guys set a parameter that provides a little flexibility to still have guys that maybe have lack a little speed, but have skill set in other areas such as ball skills, um, break point ability to win versus man coverage, contested catches, but a parameter that's low enough talking about speed that doesn't severely diminish your team speed. So this is a difficult question to answer and I'm going to ask it anyways. We're in a pandemic year, so didn't get kids on campus to get 40 times to get high weight speed verified numbers. When a team is looking at say a perimeter player and he he didn't run track, but he played basketball or he played baseball or he played another sport that doesn't have a verified speed metric to evaluate off of. How do you, how, how should a, a personnel team staff, how should a, a head coach make a decision between two different players where you kind of have more of a, a picture? Maybe you have a, a hundred meter time on a corner, but this other cornerback is a really good basketball player. You just don't have a speed number on it. Um, where, where is the balance lie? Like, what do you lean more towards and why? Yeah, force guys to put a grade on his play speed. So whether it's a wide out or a corner, estimate his play speed. Say, okay, his estimate his play speed. His play speed's four, five, five. Now, if you could, like you said, okay, now you can't bring guys to campus. So, but grade the play speed and put a number on it. Now, so therein lies the problem. Let's say you estimate a corner, he's four, five, five play speed. You like his play speed. He comes to camp and runs four, seven, five. Okay, that, that's an issue. Okay, like if he comes to camp and runs four, six, five, okay, that's a different, that's not so much of a concern, but you're estimating his play speed at four, five, five, and he comes and runs a four, seven, five or four, eight. That, that's concerning, right? So then how, so then how do you assess it? Because I, I know that it, for a lot of us, you know, they, oh, he's a four, six guy. And 90, I would say 90% of people don't understand exactly what four, six, oh, looks like. I would have a hard time hundred percent guessing that. Right. So the things that I look for is how many strides per five yards. Um, what's the level of competition? Is he pulling away from defenders? Those are some things that I look for, yeah. but what do you look for? Cause you've done yeah, this turnover. In addition to the stride length, the, the, the turnover, because, you know, right, a lot of five, 10 guys, they're not going to cover as much ground, but their turnover is going to be exceptionally more rapid than, than longer guys. 
So yeah, stride length, turnover, hip mobility, how much um, flexibility is in their lower body when they're running. Talking more in terms of like knee drive. Uh, uh, knee drive, but how much, um, how much rigidness are in their hips when they're running. You know, when, you, when you're evaluating players, there's some instinct that comes into play also, right? Like when you, when you evaluate hundreds of wide receivers, there's, there's a bit of just instinct to it as well. It's not all scientific. The guys that just pop, the guys that just pop off the screen, you're like, yeah, that guy's, he's fast. Right, right. And like, say you're, you're at Rice and you're, you're evaluating 30 wide receivers and you're, and you're putting a grade on their play speed. You might think back, man, I gave that guy a 4.60 play speed, but, but I think he's faster than this guy. Like, there's nothing wrong with going back and changing it, right? Like, now you're not going to change it at the end of the day, <laughs> but you're watching guys, which is, brings up another point. This is why you have a plan, a system in place for this week, we're going to watch our wide receivers. Next week, we'll get to our DBs. Like, do you really want to come in and, oh, today I watched two wide receivers, two running backs, a quarterback, and, and a defensive tackle. Tomorrow, I'm going to watch another quarterback, and then I'll watch a, a DB. Like, <clears throat> you know, let's watch all the guys and, and get them stacked. It's, it's not NFL scouting where you're going to a school and you have to watch different positions because you're at that school. In college football, you have the flexibility to let's let's do all, you know, we have a group of 70 wide receivers. Let's do them this week and stack them, okay? Um, you're you're going to be a little more accurate. So as you're doing those guys on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you may think, man, I think this guy's play speed is better than the guy, than Jimmy, who I did yesterday. So you can make an adjustment. No, this is really good. Is there anything else like that you want to touch on? Cause I feel like we really hit on everything that I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Your question earlier um, about the value, you know, we spoke in terms of college football, but like, if you take like the draft value, okay. The, all these guys, all these analysts on TV, you know, oh, this guy's going in the first round, this guy's going in the second round. These guys are predicting the draft. Okay. There's a difference between predicting the draft and projecting the player. So let's take the, the scale, round one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, right? It, round one, you're, if you're, if you're and, and every team's going to be slightly a little bit different, but let's say round one you see as an impact starter, immediate impact starter. Round two is immediate starter. Round three is um, will develop into a starter, okay? Uh, the fourth round you define as, a good backup maybe that could develop into a starter, but a good backup talent. And then round five is backup only, right? Round six is practice squad candidate that could battle for a roster spot. And then round seven is a um, uh, could battle for a practice squad spot type of guy, right? There's six and seven year, your players, and then your free agents. So that, that's your value, right? Well, when you say a guy is going to be an impact starter or you say a guy is going to be a developmental starter, however he turns out, right, kind of measures how you're doing as, as an evaluator. But the whole purpose of, of putting, of defining those guys is so like you take a guy in the fourth round 
and, and, and he's a backup, right? And a lot of people on the periphery, on the outside might say, man, they drafted that guy and he's, he's never started a game for him. Man, they busted on him. Again, no, you didn't. You know, we gave the guy a fourth round grade or we gave the guy a fifth round grade. That's all, you know, we thought that's, he is what we, what we thought he was. And, and that's where we took him. And, and that's what he's been for us. He's, he's been a good backup. Like, no, that's not a miss. Or now if you take a second round guy and you're saying he's a starter and the guy, you know, four years down the road has only started a couple games. Okay. That, that hasn't worked out for you, but that's, that's the importance of, of, of placing value on guys. Now, you know, you can get into the off field makeup, right? Like his football intelligence, his football character, his personal character, how does all that weigh in? Well, if you have a first round talent, when you grade the guy, you have to give him his due. This guy has immediate impact talent without question. However, because he has poor football character, he's, he's a, a selfish guy, he's got poor work habits, he shows up late to, to meetings. Well, we're gonna give him his due. His talent grade is, is, is a first round grade, but because his football character is a C, we may, we're not going to consider this guy until the third round. So that has to weigh into it as well. So my point is you have to place value in the talent, but you also have to place value in, in the character of his football makeup and, and off-field makeup. Because that determines if the guy can develop. Because I think that's the other thing to consider too when we're talking about like developmental starter backup with traits to ascend right there's there's a, a, an element of all right it's it's kind of out of the personnel guy's control when it comes to the development side it was all in your control to make sure that you checked off the boxes of okay does he have the makeup to develop does he have the work habits does he have the professionalism all those sorts of things that you need to reach your talent but again at the end of the day he's still got to develop right 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 Oh, and that's why there has to be collaboration with the coaching staff. Like somebody ultimately has to make the decision on who they're on who you're taking, right? As a player, somebody has to make the decision on the starting lineup. But like per, a personnel guy, we may be talking about a, a linebacker, and I may love him. I may say this guy's a starter talent. And if you're the linebacker, you think, oh man, I gave this guy a a backup grade. Well, okay, Alex. Well, this is what I see. What do you see? Now we have to, there has to be conversation, right? And again, the decision maker now has to listen to what's being said and make the call. Like, and he's probably not going to put him in the second round, but I can tell you he's not going to put him in the fifth, fifth round in, in a scout driven system. So maybe you'd say, hey, okay, are you comfortable with him in the third round? And maybe some coaches, if the coach is like, no, I do not see this guy. I cannot stand this guy if he's really passionate about it and he has a conviction and you know, the guy does his work as an evaluator, then, then maybe you'll, um, you'll knock his grade down a little bit. Like again, the importance of the collaboration, you're never going to hand a coach a player that he absolutely can't stand. Right. Like you just can't do that. Yeah. Or it just knocks you has, has has be part of the process. Yeah. Bobby, this is awesome. If you want to follow and, and, and check out all the things that Bobby's doing, you can follow him at Bobby Merritt 8 on Twitter. And uh, 
Bobby, uh, until next time, look forward to catching up with you soon. It's been too long. So thank you again. All right, brother. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You have a good one. Go Rice football. Yes, sir. Hey, Rice football is doing it the right way, man. I wish you guys the best. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. All right. I'll see you.